Well, happy 4th of July, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Uh, good morning. How about we start there? Good morning. All right. I'm glad you guys are here. You guys are awake and ready to go. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark today as we continue our series uh, called uh, The uh, Short Stories of Parables of Jesus. And today we're going to be in a section of scripture that is so interesting, so fascinating, so amazing. And Jesus used parables. He used metaphors or illustrations. He used stories and he used them on purpose because stories are powerful, aren't they? Stories are powerful. A story of a changed life is something that brings power. And a story that paints a beautiful picture is something that helps us understand certain things. And so Jesus was a great, great storyteller. And so we continue in this series this summer uh, on this 4th of July weekend. I'm glad that you guys are here. Those of you here in the house, thank you guys so much for being here. Those of you who are out on the backstage patio, keep cool. And those of you who are at home, I'm glad that you guys are joining us um, also. Uh, I'm glad you guys are joining us as well. Charlie Chaplin, uh, in 1975, several years before he died, he entered a look-alike contest of himself in France. And he thought he was going to be a shoe-in, right? He thought he was going to win this thing. He, he probably thought he's going to get this great prize at an elderly, you know, a little bit older age. And everyone would have a hearty laugh when he won the contest. He came in third place. <laughs> Comparison. Comparison. Comparison in our world is something we're consumed with. Charlie Chaplin was consumed with himself and decided years before he died that he would compare himself to himself because he was so caught up with himself. But we do the same thing. We compare ourselves to each other. It's what the whole phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, is like, you know, it comes from. It's because we want to keep up with what people are doing. We are focused so much on everything outside, and we're hardly ever focused on what? Ourselves. We're focused on what others are doing, we're focused on what others are receiving, what others are gaining, what other people are getting. That is the epidemic of our world, is, is that we compare ourselves so much to each other. And today I want to begin with this idea of comparison because in this particular, uh, uh, in this particular parable that Jesus tells, and he actually tells a series of parables in Mark chapter 2 where he's trying to help his followers and readers and hearers understand a spiritual story but this particular parable begins with a group of people seeing what Jesus is doing, watching his miracles, watching and listening to his teaching, and they begin to compare themselves with Jesus. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but it's not good business to begin to compare ourselves to Jesus in a self-centered way. Am I right? It's not, it's not a good idea because I want to remind you that Jesus was the perfect son of God. I think we all have compared ourselves to someone else in our lives. Just raise your hand if you've ever compared yourself 
to someone else in your life, just keep your hands up, look around, we're all in good company here, all right? So, and this particular parable began when some people began to compare themselves to Jesus and his followers. But here's the thing. They were comparing themselves to Jesus and his followers because they had a high and mighty view of themselves. They had a spiritual view of themselves that they looked to other people, and actually they weren't looking to other people as the standard. They were looking at themselves as the standard and looking around to see if everyone else was doing the same thing. And here's the funny thing. The followers of Jesus couldn't live up to the standard that these religious leaders were holding. Isn't that interesting? They had such a high standard that even the followers of Jesus, even Jesus' disciples, couldn't measure up to those standards. Jesus, in Mark chapter 2, is doing some amazing things. He, he's doing some miracles. He's performing some miracles, and he's brought a paraplegic, and they can't get to the crowd. He's just come into this place called Capernaum, and he, they can't get into the crowd with this man who is paralyzed is a paraplegic, and they, they finally decide that they're going to go. They want so desperately, I want you to hear that, they want so desperately the touch of the one that they've heard heals lives, heals physical lives, and heals spiritual lives, that they decide that they're going to cut a hole in the roof and drop him down into that room and heal him. And Jesus heals him, and he says, I forgive your sins. And the religious leaders are like, you got to be kidding me. You can't forgive sins. I just want you to get a picture of what that might look like, right? That's like, you know, somebody comes in with a hose to your home that's burning down, and they turn on the hose, and they save your home that's burning down, and they go, you're not allowed to operate a hose, a fire truck. And in fact, Jesus was allowed to forgive sin. Because he was the son of God. And so there's this, you see developing in Mark chapter 2, this jealousy, kind of this spiritual jealousy that he is doing things that they can't do, that they can't measure up. And so what do they do? They get out the law and they start comparing themselves because they're becoming jealous of the things that Jesus is doing and the things that he's saying. And so here we have at the beginning of this illustration that Jesus uses, this parable, this story that Jesus uses to help kind of clear things up before we even get to what the parable is, I want you to know that what kicked it off, what lit this fire was comparison. And we may compare ourselves with people in terms of uh, how much money we have, or how many things we have, how many cars we have. How many boats around here that we have? How many vacations you took from Ohio to Hilton Head? You might compare yourselves to people in that way, but here's the thing. We as Christians, boy, we are the biggest proponents of comparison because we sometimes believe that we have it all together. And instead of looking around and seeing people with spiritual eyes, seeing that they need a doctor spiritually, we point fingers because we feel like we have it all together. In fact, it comes on the heels. In fact, we're going to look at verse 18. And in verse 17, Jesus actually says that to the people that are gathered around, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders. Jesus essentially says, hey, guys, 
Uh, you, don't, you don't bring medicine to someone who's well. Who do you take medicine to? Someone who's what? Who's sick. Someone who needs the medicine. And on the heels of that, we have Mark chapter 2, verse 18. And John's disciples and the Pharisees, who, by the way, uh, were the religious group of leaders in that day in the Jewish world, they were fasting. They were fasting. And people came and said to him, Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, let me take a step back for just a second. Fasting is a religious, uh, it was born really as a, as a religious uh, ceremony or ritual that showed their dedication to God. It demonstrated their dedication to God. And, and side note here, fasting is a great, great spiritual Christian practice. And I highly recommend it, and I highly recommend you contact your doctor before you start anything fasting. And this message is not on fasting, but I just want to say that it is an excellent, excellent way to grow closer to God. But the result of fasting, I can promise you this, will not be spiritual pride. And in fact, if you've ever done a fast, whether it was from one meal or from social media, or if you did a 21-day just water fast, you know that God is going to reveal things in your life that you're going to have to confess that you're going to have to give up, that you're going to have to let go. And I think it's so interesting that these religious leaders are using probably the, the most desired, the most important in their kind of community, their religious community. They were using that as the gold standard and looking at Jesus and going, why aren't your disciples doing the same thing that we are and our disciples and John's disciples Comparison in general is deadly, isn't it? But spiritual comparison leads to spiritual death. Spiritual comparison leads to spiritual death. And listen, it is so incredibly dangerous. Uh, most, of us, most of us have too many things going on in our lives. Listen, Christ follower, I want you to hear this. Most of, most of us have too many things going on in our lives. Most of us have too much spiritually that is broken in our lives. Most of us have too much trauma that we need to bring to Jesus or things that we are stuck in that we need to bring to him. Most of us have too much going on in our lives to really focus on the things that helps us grow in our faith walk to be pointing out in the lives of others what they're not doing. And the moment that we begin to point and to judge and to compare people to ourselves spiritually is the moment that we are asking for spiritual death to take place, possibly in the other person, but most definitely in you and me. And man, I've done it before in subtle ways. I've done it before in subtle ways, kind of pretended like maybe I'm doing better than I am, kind of using it just lightly, subtly, bit of a power thing over someone else and that's what these people were doing that's what these religious leaders were doing you see there are things in our lives that can be deadly in our spiritual lives spiritual compromise 
for sure. It's, it's dangerous. Spiritual capitulation, it can be damaging, but I want you to hear today that spiritual comparison is death. It's death. And it's often why the world looks at the church and goes, they've got the medicine, but they're, they keep taking it to those who are well. They have the medicine, yet their home is, is falling apart. And church, we are called to be too, truly humble. We are called to be truly humble because Jesus operated with humility. He says it in Matthew 7, chapter 1. Take a look at this. He says, judge not that you be judged. Judge not lest you be judged yourself. Jesus was very clear on this, is that we need to stay in our spiritual lane when it comes to comparison. The only thing that we need to do is to compare us to Jesus because we have a desire to become more like him. More on that in a moment. How do we do this in our day and age? How do we as Christ followers kind of compare ourselves to others? I think it happens in a, in a lot of ways. Here it, here it happened in this kind of interesting way. You, you've heard of the humble brag. I mean, you've heard of the humble brag. I'm, I'm good at that. That's something that's just ingrained in me. I'm really good at that. See, I'm even humble bragging right here. Or I guess I would say I'm not really good at that. But anyway, um, but there's kind of this humble brag thing that we do, but there's this complementary comparison that we do. Like we will really speak up someone's life to begin the conversation to prove how much spiritually better we are than them. And it begins with us being complimentary about what they're doing. And it is a dangerous, slippery slope to spiritual death. Comparison is something that we need to be very, very careful of when it comes especially to our spiritual lives. We need to be careful of it in every area of our life. It is deadly in every area of our life, but spiritually speaking, it is seriously deadly. This is from a book called The Mythical Me by Rochelle Parham. It says, perhaps the greatest irony in life of continual comparison is that while it involves so much attention to the attributes and gifts of other people, it's actually quite self-focused. It's true, isn't it? It's actually quite self-focused. From that hypercritical focus of oneself comes the tendency to believe things about God and others that aren't true but are highly formative. The myths we believe shape our approach to life. Spiritual comparison is deadly. And so my encouragement to you and to me, my encouragement to you as your pastor, my encouragement to me as a Christ follower is stay in our spiritual lane when it comes comparison. And all of that just leads up to the actual parable that Jesus used in this situation. Check it out. Mark chapter 2, verse 22. Reading a little bit further, he uses several different parables here, but we're going to take a look at this one. He says this, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. He says, if he does, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine 
is for fresh wineskins. Now, back in the first century, instead of using bottles with corks, they used skins, thick leather. You talk about a tanniny wine. That would really happen with like leathery uh, uh, wineskins. And the wine would stay in the skin, and it would ferment, and it would expand. And along with the new wine, with a new skin, it would expand with it. But once that wine is, you know, already gone, already consumed, then they would use the old wineskins. The problem is, is that if you put new wine that begins its fermentation process in the old skin that has now become hardened and shell-like, it's like an egg, and the fermentation process continues while it's in the wineskin, what happens to the wineskin? It what? It breaks. It bursts. Like my water heater when I went up into the attic the other day. It looks like it's going to burst. Don't worry, I'm getting it replaced. Some of you are like, oh, that's giving me anxiety. Trust me, I get it. <laughs> and you see, what happens is, is that, that Jesus is trying to communicate to religious leaders that have already begun this comparison game. He's trying to communicate to them that the comparison is meaningless. Listen, if you're the one that someone continues to compare themselves and judge you, I want you to hear that. Your closest advisors, your wisdom counselors, as we talked about in our last series, Landing Lights, they are the ones to listen to. But the ones who are naysayers, the ones who are, who are pointing their finger at you and judging you spiritually, ignore them because that is not from God. And for you as a new believer or, or as a, an aged believer with more fermentation process to go, if you are put in that old wineskin, it is going to burst. And what happens to the new wine? It's destroyed. It's ruined. Some of, some of you who are wine aficionados, are just, your, your ears hurt when I say that. Like, No. But Jesus uses this comparison to tell us that we are the wine. And the old wine skin is, are you ready for this? You ready for this? This is the comparison. It's the law. It's the law. It's the Old Testament list of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of law that's in the Bible. Why would Jesus be throwing shade at the Old Testament? Why would he be doing that? It's because he understood that his job was come, it was to come to complete the law. And so you and I as followers of Christ who are growing, it's one of those seven words on the wall right there, it's one of our seven focus words, is that we should be Christ followers who are growing in our faith. As we grow and as we expand and as we ferment, if you will, as Christ followers, if we are placed in an old, crusty, dried up wineskin, it's going to burst and we're going to waste our lives. And that's what life lived according to every jot and tittle, as the Bible says, of the law is if we are Christ followers. Because Jesus came, listen, I want you to hear this, he came to bring that to completion. And you see, that's why he's telling these religious leaders, 
that you need to be careful to not put new wine in an old wineskin. I'm going to talk more about the law in a moment and talk, talk to you about its purpose, but, but I want to pause for a second here. It's one of our main words, growth. We are called to be growing Christians. Implied in here is, is that we are growing, that we are expanding. And Christ follower, my question to you is, is are, are you even growing? Man, we all have seasons of ups and downs, don't we, spiritually? Can, can we just agree on that? We all do. We all have spiritual, spiritual moments where there's the desert, and then you have spiritual moments when you're, you're just really growing. But right now, my question to you is, is if you were placed, if you're wine, and you were placed in an old wineskin, would there be enough growth that it would burst? Just something to think about. Listen, spiritual growth and expansion will always be the result of new life in Christ. And so if you are a Christ follower, whether you made that decision decades ago, whether you made that decision even before I was born, which was a long time ago, I promise you, if you made that decision last week or in the last couple of days, it doesn't matter. If we are Christ followers, growth is going to happen. And the new wineskin that we need is freedom in Christ. And that's the third thing I want to talk to you about today is spiritual freedom. Because what Jesus is talking about here, he is talking about running to him for spiritual freedom. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's that Old Testament stuff that we talked about. But he says this, I have not come to abolish them, but to, what's that next word? Fulfill them. I want you to say it with me again. I've come not to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. Give me a chance to take another drink of water. <laughs> Sean and I played golf yesterday afternoon, and it was hot. <laughs> so Jesus says that I have come to fulfill the law and prophets. He doesn't say I've come to end them. I want you to hear that. That is a clear distinction. He says I've come to complete them. That's what that word fulfill means. I have come to bring to completion what was set up in the Old Testament. And so my question is this. Why was it set up in the first place? Well, we just sang a song about the holiness of God, didn't we? We just sang a song giving glory to the holiness of God. And the law was set up so that you and I could see the difference between us and God. Now, I'm going to ask you a question today. It's 4th of July. You guys are going to go out to the beach. You probably came to the early service so that you could head out to the beach right away, go to the pool, whatever, golf course, tennis court, whatever you guys may be doing today, this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. How many of you will break the speed limit this weekend at some point in time? It was about half honesty, half of your line. That's cool. You can deal with God about that. Anyway, so here's the deal. Like... We break the law all the time. Do we not? Do we not? Do we break the law all the time? We do. We really do, don't we? We break the law all the time. Why is the law then there? It's there for God's glory and for our good. Because if I break the law of speeding all the time, surely at some point in time, what will happen? I get into a wreck. It's there for God's glory. 
It's there for my good. It's also there for your good, too. But Jesus came to complete that law, and it's good for us to see that the law exists because we can't possibly, if we have one job while we're driving, and that's to stay under the speed limit, we can't even keep that law. Can you imagine in your life keeping hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws? Would you be able to keep hundreds of laws in your personal, spiritual life? None of us would. None of us would. And even one of those laws broken means that there's separation from us and God. And Jesus came to say, this has been brought to a conclusion. And by the way, a great litmus test to see what applies from the Old Testament to the New Testament is what Jesus repeats, what Paul repeats from the Old Testament. Everything else was brought to completion. And by the way, most of what is repeated is all about God's grace and God's love and how we treat each other. Isn't that cool? Galatians 5, 1, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And then he says, stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Even the Apostle Paul compares the law to slavery. And listen, I want you to hear today that when you and I, when we are living according to the law in our spiritual lives, we are living this, this life of of, of this legalism, this obsession with law, this worship of being perfect. And what that breeds is, is a, a spirit of comparing ourselves then to other people and using ourselves as the gold standard of what a Christian should be. And it may not be very apparent, but listen, church, this, this is deeply rooted in the church today. It was back in the first century, and it still is today. We live this life committed and almost worshiping the law, and that's, that's legalism. It's legalism. It's not Christianity. It's not what Jesus came to do. He came to give us spiritual freedom so that we can grow spiritually. So that fermentation process then happens because the law holds us down. George Washington, it's July 4th, I have to use George Washington, right? George Washington said that liberty, when it takes root, is a plant of rapid growth. And that's the same thing spiritually for you and for me. Freedom, true spiritual freedom, when it takes root, is a plant of rapid growth. Once we understand that we are free from the law because Jesus came to complete the law, that the law still exists for a reason to show how holy God is, and also those things that are echoed in the New Testament that we live by them. But here's the thing. If we will allow God to take that legalistic mindset and that thing that's holding us down, that's keeping us in bondage, if we will allow him to take that yoke off, you can't imagine the spiritual growth that you and I could have. We might have a hard time finding good new wineskins to hold us. And I like to begin to imagine what God would do with Hilton Head Island Community Church in this community and beyond when we give up those things that keep us living according to the law with this legalistic comparison mentality. Liberty, when it takes root, is a plant of rapid growth. But see, Jesus came and he died to bring all of that to completion.
He completed it. Have you ever had someone finish something for you and it was kind of a surprise, a pleasant surprise? Have you ever had that happen to you? I was in college, and if you know me, you know math, and I don't agree. I've talked about it before. I, I just, I always struggled with it. I, I usually will get there, right? Geometry was my favorite math class I took. Algebra, not so much. Trigonometry, not so much. Hardly can pronounce it. And so anyway, it was tough, and so I had to take one class. I had to take one math class in college, and man, I avoided it. I looked for every loophole. Didn't work. I had to take it. And I took it, and, and my, um, my freshman year, I, I got stuck in a dorm, uh, dorm with a guy named Don. And um, Don and I are complete opposites, but we ended up being really good friends. Today, he's an actuary. He was a math major. This is the guy that I needed in my dorm, in my room in college. It was awesome to have Don there. I'd ask him a question, though, and he would, in his dry humor, go, of course. He'd begin every sentence with, of course. Of course X and Y equal this. That's not of course to me. No. Uh-uh. And one night, I remember being so frustrated, so frustrated with homework, and I'm trying to prove all this stuff, and I, just, I left my math book. I had no intention. I had no ill intention here, okay? Left my math book open with the homework halfway done, put my pen, pencil down, and I got to bed, and I went to sleep, and I woke up the next morning, and my math was finished. My math homework was finished. I'm like, Don. He goes, I got bored in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> you're a different guy, dude. <laughs> Sorry if you're one of those that finishes math homework for fun. But anyway, <laughs> like, I can't turn this in. He's like, well, let me help you understand it, man. Help me understand it. And that was a surprise of completion. I didn't expect that. Don and I were great friends. He ended up being one of the kindest people I ever knew. Great guy, great godly, godly man. Here's my point. It's Jesus came he surprised you. He died for your freedom on the cross. Gave up his life so that you could be freed of all the legalism, the stuff that holds you back. He gave you the keys to unlock the chains that bind you. I want you to pull your keys out for a moment. I'm going to have you do this, I promise you. I, I don't pull your keys out. You're not going home yet, okay? All right? Just pull your keys out for a second. I want you to look Look at one of your keys for a moment. I want you to look at that key. Because Jesus came, I want you to hear this. He came, by the way, go ahead and give me your addresses right now, if you would, that'd be great. <laughs> he came to give you the key that unlocks the bonds of the law. He came to give you that key so that you could experience freedom, spiritual freedom, which leads to spiritual growth. Next time you take your key out, remember your spiritual freedom. I want you to do one other thing before we close today. I want you to take out your driver's, just take out your driver's license for a second, okay? Those of you who have driver's license, if it's suspended, don't worry about it. No problem there, all right? Okay. Take out your driver's license. 
I want you to look at your driver's license for a moment. You probably don't like your picture. I don't either. <laughs> but your driver's license gives you something. What does it give you? It gives you the rights and responsibility to drive legally on the road. Now, now, I want you to hear me for a second. When you look at that driver's license, here's the problem in the Christian life. Is that the bondage of freedom that we never unlock leads us to comparison. It leads to pride. The problem is, is that sometimes we take those keys, we unlock the yoke of slavery, and we take that license, and we hold it up, and we say, Jesus paid for my freedom, now I can do whatever I want. It's a license to sin. And that's not his intent either. Because that's selfish. That's self-centered. That's seeking our own gain. When you received that license from the state of South Carolina or Ohio, you received it so that you would drive legally within the bounds of the law safely, that you would have insurance with your car, hopefully you do. Not so that you could go out and drive like a crazy person. But that's what we do in our Christian life, church, Christ follower, is we either are given to those bonds of sin, legalism, and we're like, you know what, I, I am up here spiritually, and they're down there, and just quietly I'm going to compare myself, and oops, it comes out every once in a while. We do it in harsh ways, we do it in subliminal ways, we do it in quiet ways, and all of a sudden those, those chains become the thing that we worship, and that's legalism, it's not Christ-like, it has nothing to do, and it stunts our spiritual growth, it leads to death. On the far extreme from that is taking our license and saying, I can do whatever I want, and that leads to death. Both of those things lead to death. If we are going to be true new wine in a new wineskin, we're going to follow Paul's answer to the question that he asked, and this is where we'll end today. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, he spent all these chapters talking about the great freedom we have in Christ, and then he says this. He asks the greatest question, I think, that has ever been asked for a Christ follower. What shall we say then? He says, are we to go on sinning so that grace may abound? Let me get that license out and say that Jesus has covered everything. I can live the way that I want to. He asks the question. He actually does it twice. We're just going to look at one of them. He says, are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? And then he answers this way with an emphatic, by no means. Because when we live that way, we cheapen the death of Jesus. When we live according to the law, we cheapen the death of Jesus, legalism. When we live with a license to sin, you see, those are the extremes of the Christ, uh, Christ follower. And we're often given to go into one of those extremes to living in legalism or living with a license to sin. The way that we should live is right there in the middle, and it's freedom in Christ. And it's running after him. Look how he answers it. He says, do you know that all of us 
who has been baptized into Christ Jesus. We were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him in baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might, what's that next word? Walk in newness of life. That's the answer. That's the answer. That's how we can take the freedom that that he gave us and live like new wine, fermenting and growing, shedding the the weight of the law and the, the old way of living so that we don't compare ourselves but also cautious not to, not to think that we have all this freedom that we can just let's run amok. I want to encourage you to not just walk in newness of life. Doesn't matter where you are spiritually, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that in a second. Or whether you've been a Christ follower for a long time, but maybe you've been living on that seesaw of those extremes, legalism. License to sin, legalism, license to sin. I want to encourage you not just to walk in newness of life, but run to Jesus because he's the one that can help us find the reason for the true freedom that he gave us. I'm going to pray right now. And I want to encourage you just in this moment to think about that thing that's keeping you from running to Jesus. What is that thing that's holding you back? And I'm going to pray. After I'm done praying, our team's going to come back. And I'm going to ask you to remain seated. You just get settled for a moment, put everything down, and just listen to the words of the song. It's going to be a prayer that's prayed over you, a song that's sung over you. I want you to take the opportunity to get introspective about where you are in your faith walk. What's holding you back? Our backstage over here to my right, that's going to be open. Stephen Minister will be in there if you want to talk to someone. I want to encourage you to do that during the song or after the service is over. Let's just allow God's Holy Spirit to lead and to guide right now. Father, I thank you for the freedom that we have in you. We celebrate that especially on this Independence Weekend, this July 4th weekend, because the freedom that we have as Americans is great but the freedom that we have spiritually is so precious Father I pray that you would help us to be careful about comparing ourselves spiritually that we would receive freedom from maybe the bonds of a legalistic mindset that leads to comparison and leads to death. It leads to pride, hubris, condemnation. Father, may you help us understand that that is not your way. Help us to understand that it's also not your way to live with this license to sin, seeking our own pleasure, seeking our own way. And Father, while it is hard to find the balance in those two things, the answer is you. Father, may I run after you. May our church run after you. Father, I pray that we would run after you, Jesus, that you would be the one that we would pursue. 
to find what it means to live in true freedom. Father, may we be a church that is growing. May we be a church that each one of us individually are spending time with you, are running to you, are listening to you, are reading your word, and being made more like you. If you're here today, if you're in this room, if you're in the house, if you're back on backstage patio, if you're watching or listening, and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, please, I want to implore you. I want to challenge you. I want to invite you to make Jesus your Savior, to put your faith in him and begin that growth process right now today. If God is calling you, if he's touching your heart right now, I want to encourage you to pray this very short prayer right after I pray it. You just pray it along with me, just in the quietness of your heart, if you want to become a Christ follower, if you want to give your life to him, if you want to be saved and live in heaven with him. Jesus, you can pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for the freedom that I have because of your sacrifice. I admit that I'm a sinner and those sins keep me from you. And I accept you as my Savior. Help me now to live a life of spiritual freedom. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you to let us know. You can go online on the uh, connection card. You can tell a Stephen minister. You can come and talk to me. We would love to know of your decision to follow Jesus. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in and through Hilton Head Island Community Church. May you continue it. May we listen to you. And right now, Father, as we get introspective, as we think about those things that hold us back, may we be willing to give them to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.